being here this morning, especially if you consider yourself a visitor, we're so glad that you're here and hope that you're comfortable. I invite you to be back with us at every opportunity that you have. Thank you for the prayer on my behalf, Colton. Appreciate that very much. And, and hopefully as we study this morning, we'll uh, see some things that God's Word points out to us that's very important in our world. As we look at these pictures this morning, it reminds us of different things that are kind of hot topics, things that we see around us in our world as we look at this first picture, we see riots and looting and, you know, power taking away from the police that are trying to control situations, and we see that very uh, prevalent in our society today. Uh, we see uh, addiction to drugs and partying and alcohol and things like that as we look around us and see that that's out of control in our nation, in our country. You know, Chris Gerald was here last week and talked a little bit about gender identity I think in one of his lessons, he talked about there's 72 different gender identities. I mean, what? <laughs> it's out of control. It's, it's a joke. It's crazy as we look around us. We have a marriage and divorce crisis in our nation. Over half the marriages end up in divorce. We have uh, maybe a personal problem of overspending. We certainly have a national problem of overspending and debt and uh, a lurking stock market crash and inflation and all the things as we look around us that we worry about. We have temper tantrums and behavior problems. We have school shootings. You know, some of us that are older could remember if I acted like this at our dinner table, that cookie that was in my mouth would be knocked into the next county. Uh, that, that wasn't allowed at, at our house. Uh, it didn't throw temper tantrums, especially not at the table. If you talked with your mouth full, you were in trouble at the table. So we can all relate and see that as we look at these things that certainly our world is out of control. And as we look around us and we see the issues and, and we see and hear things that are crazy and they're just unbelievable to us every day, it gets more and more out of control. As Christians, you and I are called to be not out of control. We're called to be in control. We're called to be different. Not like the world, not like these things that we see uh, in these pictures this morning. So I guess the first question is, are we? Are we different? And the second question was, well, how do we go about doing this? How do we regain control? What do we do about these things that are around us? How can we uh, overcome these things? And certainly, there's a lot of things that we could talk about this morning, but when we talk about out of control, well, we want to talk about self-control. You know, there's not a whole lot of things I can do about the big picture of the world, about a lot of these problems, but what I can do on a small personal level is control myself. And God calls each and every one of us as Christians to do that, to control our, our own selves and our own being and what He would have us to do and do those things that are right. We're called to be examples to the world. We're called to be light in a world of darkness. We're called to be salt for a positive influence uh, in this world that's around us. So how do we go about doing that? And this first step and I'm not saying we can just have self-control and I'll just throw that to the world and we'll control all these problems. Everything will be taken care of. I know it's not that simple, but there's certainly things that I can do my own life to help these, this situation and these problems that are around us. In Proverbs chapter 25 and verse number 28, the Bible says that he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down without walls. If I don't rule my own self and my own spirit, I'm like a city that has no walls or they're broken down. 
You know, in biblical times, we think about the walls and that kind of being a very important thing that was around the city that would protect them. That was kind of their uh, first defense against the enemy. And you think about when there's a breach in the wall or when there was a problem with it or when the walls were knocked down, like at Jericho, how that they entered into the city and defeated it very easily. So when we don't rule ourselves, this proverb is talking about ruling our own self, having self-control, and we don't have that, we're defenseless against Satan, against the world. So we need to have this self-control that's this first line of defense in our, in our life. You know, Satan casts that lure and that bait of sin out there to us repeatedly, over and over. And we just swim out and take it, just like a fish. <laughs> but if we control ourselves and we know what is righteous, what is good, what is right, and don't go after that bait, don't go after the sin then we can be controlled and we can be, have the self-control that he would have us to have. I came across a very interesting example of, of a teacher that had the fruits of the Spirit and the works of the flesh listed out on a sheet of paper as we read about in Galatians chapter 5, verses 19 through 23. She had all these listed out and then she had the fruits of the Spirit like we have over here on the right. And she gave the assignment to the students and she said, well, pick out... You know, the fruits of the Spirit help overcome the works of the flesh. And she said, you pick out the fruit of the Spirit that will defeat the work of the flesh. So that was their assignment and what they were supposed to do. Almost on every answer that they gave, they picked self-control. Self-control can defeat any of these works of the flesh. And so there was a, a very significant application to that and seeing that. I know that all these, it's not the only answer that can all these things help overcome the works of the flesh but it is kind of like a super fruit <laughs> that helps us overcome these fruits of the spirit that help us overcome the works of the flesh so it's a very substantial finding in that study we understand that the battle the battle with our passions with our emotions and with our desires and our will so what is self-control? We've talked about this. We mentioned that word this morning. Exactly what is it? Well, no, the word itself implies something that needs to be controlled. <laughs> and obviously, we're talking about ourselves or our inward self this morning. It's ourself that we need to control. We're talking about restraint exercised over our impulses, our emotions, and our desires. Having power or mastering, controlling, curbing, restraining, holding back something. And you might say, well, is it really that important? Is it really that big a deal? When Romans chapter 8, uh, there the Scriptures talk about, in the first few verses of that chapter, about the, wor uh, the works of the flesh. It talks about the law. And it talks about our inability to keep the law because of the weakness of our flesh, because we're sinful. And we couldn't keep the law, so Jesus had to come and die on the cross that we would have a way of forgiveness and a way of salvation. And in Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14, it says, Because of that, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. If you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if, if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. So it's pretty important, isn't it? It's a matter of life or death. Whatever we follow after, it's very important. He continues this line of thought in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 through, three, 1 through 2, about living our lives as a living sacrifice, holy, acceptable to God, which is our reasonable service. And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed, be different 
by the renewing of your mind that we might follow after the will of God. So we see the importance of having control in our life and maintaining that. You know, if self-control is developed in our lives, our lives are better in every way. But if it's missing, well, our lives are made more difficult and made more unfulfilling. But control brings organization. It brings order. And if we suffer from life-changing addictions or behavior problems, uh, bad habits, poor spending habits, all those are in ways directly related to our self-control, how we're controlling ourselves. Our reputation is one who keeps his word, is a good worker, has a good work ethic, uh, can be counted on, is a good citizen. All those are directly related or influenced to our, by our self-control. So certainly, it is very important. So let's look at some things that the Bible talks about what we need to control. There are several things that are mentioned in the Scriptures. And the first thing that we want to talk about today is our thoughts. In Romans chapter 8, verse number 5, it says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on things of the Spirit. When we think about this wording, set our minds, you know, I remember many times when I was a kid, I'd get something, and I'm still that way, I, I get something on my mind, I set it on my mind, and I, I have a hard time getting that out of my head. I want to think about it. If it's something that I desire to have, maybe a new car, or new something like that, I, I can't get it out of my head. I keep thinking about that and a, a way I want to get to it or how to desire it. When we set our mind, we exercise, we fixate on it, we focus on it, our thoughts and affections toward those things. Now, we're talking about spiritual things today, obviously, setting our minds on things of the Spirit, things that are spiritual. And that's what the Scriptures tell us to do and what we want to accomplish and desire. In 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verse number 5, it talks about casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ. So this word casting down or destroy, demolish, thoughts or imaginations, things that come into our mind, every high thing that tries to exalt itself above God. You know, Chris also talked uh, last week about idols. You know, there's a lot of things that compete and want to be our God, no matter what that is, maybe money, maybe this world, maybe just desires that we have. So we want to cast down, destroy, demolish anything that tries to exalt itself in our life above God. He's to be number one and what we worship, and what we follow, and bring into captivity every thought and every desire under the will of God to His obedience. When I think about that wording uh, in captivity, you've maybe seen movies before where someone's uh, uh, lost their mind, they're going crazy, and they're put into a straitjacket, they're tied down, they're, um, you know, they're, they're made to settle down. That's the only way you can control them. And obviously, as they're tied up and they have no way to get loose, as they're tied up in that jacket, well, they're made and forced to submit or to obey. We need to do that with our thoughts, to capture our thoughts and replace them with good thoughts, with good things that the Scriptures talk about. Another thing we need to control is our eyes. The Scripture talks about the importance of controlling our eyes. In a world that's so saturated with impure thoughts and impure images, that are so easily accessible through the TV and the internet and any avenue that we see all around us, Christians need to work hard 
on what we control, control our vision and what we look at and what we see. It's very closely connected, obviously, with our thoughts. When we see something, we think about it. <laughs> it's, it's very closely connected to that. So controlling our thoughts and, and, and what occupies our hearts, what we allow our eyes to see, is something we need to be constantly thinking about. Now, I've used this example before, and you've probably heard it from me, but uh, Ross and myself, when we were back in college, we had a, a process that we kind of went through. Um, you know, obviously, it's, it's a, a struggle for a lot of young men. There's a, a book written about every man's battle, about the lust of the eyes and looking upon a woman to lust after her. It's, it's not an uncommon problem that's around us. We had a process that we would go through when a pretty girl would walk by of averting our eyes, looking away and saying, man, she was ugly, and just looking at that. And it helped. It worked. It helped in many ways. The Scriptures say, you have heard it was said, you shall not commit adultery. But I say to you, everyone that looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with, us, with her in his heart. Is it important that we look away? Is it important what we do with our eyes? You know, in Job chapter 31, verses 1 through 4, Job, it says there that Job made a covenant with his eyes that he would not look upon or think about a young woman. That he would not think about her in that way, in a lustful way. And, he, and it goes on to describe why. He said, because those that practice that type of activity, practice sin, what is in their future? Destruction. God knows all my ways. He knows all my steps, he says. He knows my thoughts. He knows what I'm looking at. He knows my desire. And I made a covenant with my eyes that I will not look upon a young woman to lust after her in that way. You know, what we allow into our, our, our eyes and into our heart affects our entire body. In Luke chapter 11, verses 33 through 36, not one after lighting a lamp puts it under a, in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. <clears throat> your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is good, your whole body is full of light. But when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful or take heed, pay attention, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no heart dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. It is important what we look at and what we see and how we control that information. <clears throat> Another thing that Scripture talks about controlling is our emotions. We are people that are prone to follow our feelings. But God has always expected us to marshal our feelings, to control those feelings in favor of what is right. Look at what he tells Cain here. He says, The Lord said to Cain, Why are you angry and why has your face fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? If you do not do well, sin is crouching at the door. Its desire is contrary to you, but you must rule over it. God warned Cain against his following after his jealousy and after his anger. He was to rule over, to have power, dominion over, rule over these thoughts, these emotions that were prevalent in his heart. He said, pay attention to what you're doing. You must rule over it. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 26 through 27, it says, if you're going to be angry, well, don't sin. And he said, and don't let it, the sun go down on your anger or on your wrath and give no opportunity to the devil. So if you're going to be angry, well, don't let it last. Take care of it quickly 
before the sun goes down, before you go to bed. Because if you don't, you're just like that city with no walls. You're giving opportunity. You're giving a place for the devil to get in, to destroy you, to lure you. In James chapter 1, verses 19 through 21, it says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness and receive with meekness the implanted word which is able to save your souls. The anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. So what do we need to do? We need to put that away. Put away sin. Put away those evil thoughts and those uh, desires in our life. Instead, we receive the Word of God. Plant that in our heart because it saves our soul. It's able to save your souls. Humble receive the Word and plant it in your heart and in your life because it will save you. What else do we need to control? The Bible talks about our tongue, our words. This is, as James describes it in James chapter 3, he said this is hard. <laughs> this is difficult. It's a difficult thing to control. James says that our tongue resembles an untamable beast or untamable wild animal and a wildfire, an un, a raging wildfire. It's very difficult to do something about in, in many situations. So we must learn to restrain our lips. In Proverbs chapter 10, verse number 19, when words are many, transgression is not lacking, but whoever restrains his lips is wise. That restraining means to hold back, withhold. Be careful what you say. Watch your wordings. Have you ever said something you wish you hadn't said? <laughs> we all have, haven't we? How often have you regretted your words, what you've said? You know, I like to joke around. I like to have a good time. But a lot of times, the expense of others, I, I say hurtful things, hurtful, foolish things. Maybe un unintentionally, I don't mean to hurt anyone, but it does hurt. Words can hurt. We need to be intentional with our words and what we say. In Colossians chapter 3, verses 8 through 10, But now you must put them away, put them all away, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. So what do we need to do? We must put these things away from us. Put it out of our life. Don't lie. Tell the truth. Don't talk dirty. Don't say dirty words. Curse. Put off the old self. When we died, we put off our old self and, and when we practiced those things and did those things. Now we're created after the image of God. And we're supposed to be following after those things which are righteous and right and not have these things as attributes in our life because we've been renewed. We've been made new. We're new creatures. James chapter 3, verses 9 through, or 9 through 10, he talks about a spring. He talks about a river flowing forth and it bringing forth good water that tastes good and it brings forth bad water that tastes bad. He said, how, how does that happen? How can you, your tongue is like that? How can it uh, bless God and curse God with the same tongue, with the same spring as he relates it in the same river? These things ought not so to be. Don't talk like that. Don't lie. Control our tongues. What else do we need to control? Well, our body, our bodies. We must control the use of our physical bodies, especially uh, regarding sexual behavior. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3-5, through 5, For this is the will of God, your sanctification or purification, 
that you abstain from sexual immorality, that each one of you know how to control his body in holiness and honor, not in the passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Paul's argument for this sexual um, immorality is also based on our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit, being the dwelling place of the Holy Spirit. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 18 through 23, we're told to flee, to get away from sexual immorality. Every other sin that a person commits is outside the body, but the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own, for you are bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You know, as we think about the, uh, the temple or the tabernacle, there was a very strict cleansing ritual that the priest had to go through before he would enter, enter into the temple. Because they didn't, want, they didn't want it to be defiled or desecrated. Didn't want it to be unholy. And that's, he said, that look, the temp, your body is a temple, the place that the Holy Spirit dwells. So keep it clean. Just like they would the tabernacle or temple. That's the picture that, that we're to get out of that. That's just something that we need to control. Is our body and our life. 1 Corinthians chapter 13 talks about that the body is not for sexual immorality, for that lustful type of behavior, but it's for the Lord. It's for the Lord. In 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse number 12, it said, Paul said, I won't be brought under subjection to anything. You know, I've got freedoms in Christ, and we've talked uh, other sermons about that recently. I've got freedoms in Christ, but I won't be brought under the power of those things, but under the power to godliness following after His will. So how do I regain or maintain self-control in my life? How do I go about this? We want to look at some examples of Paul and Joseph as we begin to wrap up. In 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 24 through 27, the Bible says, Do you not know that in a race all runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable crown, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly, and I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. So Paul giving this example for us to consider this runner or this marathon runner. And you think about the discipline that it takes to be able to run 26 miles. That's an incredible feat. It's incredibly hard. It's very intentional. Everything that a, a marathon runner or one that runs in a race and wants to win that race has to do to win it. It has to be very intentional. It's an exceedingly hard task, requiring a lot of work and a lot of effort. And he makes this analogy, and he said, I discipline my own body and keep it under control. He said, unless I become disqualified. He said, oh, I can tell you all these things and tell you, you know, you've got to live a good, godly life. But if I don't do it myself, what's going to happen to me? I'm going to be disqualified. I'm going to be lost. None of it's going to matter. So how important it is that we discipline our body and keep it under subjection and not be like the world. Heed the message that the Scriptures give us this morning. You know, as we think about the example of Joseph, he practiced all these things that we've talked about this morning. And we're going to talk about his story briefly.
He mastered his thoughts. He mastered his eyes, his emotions, his body, his tongue. And he was led by the Spirit of God. Let's look in Genesis chapter 39, verses 6 through 9. <clears throat> and one thing that he did was accept responsibility. That's something we've got to do to maintain or regain control, self-control in our life. So he left all that he had, and talking about Potiphar here, he left all that he had in Joseph's charge, and because of him he had no concern about any, anything but the food he ate. Now Joseph was handsome in form and appearance, and after a time his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, Lie with me. But he refused and said to his master's wife, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house, and he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not, he is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? How can I do this thing? How can I sin against God? You know, Joseph could have blamed his brothers for the situation that he was in. He could have blamed his circumstances. He could have blamed God. He could have blamed Potiphar. You know, a lot of times people blame God for the situation that they're in and try to put the blame on Him. He could have justified giving in to Potiphar's wife. And he might very well have got away with it. Or what we say, get away with it. But no, he accepted responsibility. He said, how can I do this thing? I can't do it. It can't be done. It's, it's wrong. It's evil. And I won't be a part of it. I can't do this thing. You think about the example of David and Bathsheba and how that's totally opposite of what Joseph has just, did, just done. You think about David and how that he didn't control any of those things we talked about this morning. He didn't control his thoughts. He didn't control his mind, his emotions his eyes. And he followed through with that sin. And he wound up murdering a man, Bathsheba's husband, Uriah. And it was a problem for him for the rest of his life. There was never peace again in his household and in his family because of the sin that he participated in. He did finally accept responsibility and ask forgiveness, but there was trickle down of problems for that for the rest of his life because of sin that he participated in. How can I do this great wickedness? We also see that a way to regain, maintain self-control in life is to alter our environment. In Genesis chapter 39, verses 10 through 12, it says, And as she spoke to Joseph day by day, he would not listen to her, to lie beside her, to be with her. But one day when he went into the house to do his work, and none of the men of the house was in the, were there in the house. She caught him by his garment, saying, Lie with me. But he left his garment in her hand and fled and got out of the house. You know, jo Joseph recognized his vulnerability. And he fled. And he ran, the, and ran away from the scene. You know, the Bible repeatedly talks and tells us about fleeing idolatry, fleeing immorality, removing ourselves, from that situation, creating separation between ourselves and, and not sinning, making that a priority in our life, separating ourselves from that sin. It's a big deal. It matters. And sometimes it takes very drastic measures. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 29 through 30, if your right eye causes you to sin, tear it out or pluck it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body be thrown into hell. 
And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off and throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your members than your whole body go into hell. Pretty drastic measures. Making big changes in our life and in our heart. Making serious modifications. You know, if I can't control, if I work and work and I can't control what I'm looking at, I can't make that modification or my hand in some way causes me to sin and I can't gain control of it, it's better to lose those members of your body, pieces of your body, than to go into hell. It takes drastic measures. It takes effort. It takes work. It's not easy. If you're tempted to do wrong things, what do we do? Change our environment. Remove ourselves from it. Go away from that computer. Turn off the phone. Change the channel on the TV. It's, I, I know those are, are simple things that we can talk about, but we're talking about the importance of that. Look at Matthew chapter 5 and the importance of, of what, the modifications that we need to make. Just leaving the room sometimes can make a big difference. Make the modification. Make the changes in your, in your life. And finally, acknowledge the presence of God. How can I sin against God? How can I do this thing and sin against Him? Even though Potiphar's not here, there's nobody else in the house, God knows. God sees. He acknowledged and took responsibility for his actions and what he would do. He recognized that God was watching and he'd be held accountable, be held responsible for his actions. Self-control was always necessary. Integrity and character is who you are when nobody else is watching. But God's always watching. There's someone always seeing how we act and how we control ourselves and our thoughts. God placed Joseph in a position to save people. You know, he's a likeness, he's a figure of Christ in our life. He talks about his brother and says, look, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. God used it for good. He used it in a, a good and positive way. He placed Joseph in a place to save people. And his brothers were scared. They were fearful of what was going to happen. That Joseph would uh, you know, be unforgiving and unloving and take revenge on them. But he was like Christ. He spoke peaceably to them. He didn't have bitterness or hatred in his heart and in his life. He said, you meant it to me for bad stuff, but I wouldn't have it. To bring that about, the many people might be saved. So do not fear. I'm going to provide for you and your little ones, your family. I'm going to provide for you. I'm going to take care of you. He comforted them and spoke righteously to them. And as we conclude this morning, I want you to think about this list. In this first scripture here, Peter gives us a list of godly qualities that we should diligently add to our hearts and to our lives that will make us fruitful, will make us pleasing to the Lord. And beside this, give all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to your virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and brotherly kindness charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they will make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. So replacing this old man, our old lustful thoughts, like the Gentiles that talked about in the Scriptures earlier, we replace these things with godly characteristics and godly traits. And Peter gives us a list of things that we need to do. And if we do these things, have these things in our life, we'll be fruitful, we'll be pleasing to God. 
Philippians chapter 4, verses 6 through 8 talks about, Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication and thanksgiving let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatsoever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of place, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things, and the God of peace will be with you. Mimic me as I mimic Christ, is a message from Paul. As I'm like Christ, I have these, these things in my life. I have these Christian attributes and things in my life. Think about these things. Place these things in your heart, in your life. And that's how we have self-control and control of ourselves. In Galatians chapter 2 and verse number 20, it says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ who lives in me. In the life that I now live, I live in the flesh, and I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Christ loved us, and he gave himself for us. Won't you humbly submit to Jesus Christ to obey him in baptism? He was crucified. Christ was crucified for us. He was put to death and buried in a tomb and raised again. He's asked us to do the same thing, to crucify our old self, our old sinful man, be buried and be risen again, to walk in newness of life, renewed and walk after him. And if we'll only submit and obey that, he will bless us and we can live together in heaven forever with him. Won't you come if you need any assistance from the church as we stand and sing this morning?